This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Canadians do pay some of the highest bills in the world, particularly for internet, and uh, and this is on the back of prices uh, that we've seen rising for years. Take a look at this number here as well. The internet bill is just between the years of 2012-2016, up over 35%, and that's just internet. That's not even including our phone or our TV bills, and some points as to why it's a lack of competition. Some would say that because Bell, Rogers, and Telus control about 90%, over 90% of all the market that there's not a lot of competition out there take a look last month canada's telecom regulator the crtc issued its final decision in a lengthy battle over the rates that independent internet providers pay for wholesale access to the broadband networks run by big incumbents such as rogers and bell the commission slashed previous rates and made its decision retroactive an approach that sparked anger and lawsuits from the incumbents who are now in Canadian courts seeking to overturn the CRTC ruling and stop it from taking effect. Meanwhile, several Canadian independent ISPs wasted no time in responding to the decision, dropping their consumer prices and neatly illustrating the impact of lower rates and more competition. Here to discuss the CRTC decision and the state of competition for Canadian internet services is George Berger, one of the founders of V-Media and a frequent commentator on Canadian telecom issues. George recently wrote an op-ed in the National Post supporting the CRTC ruling, stating, and I quote, incumbents have no business howling about the unfairness of this recent decision. Any unfairness pales in comparison to what Canadian consumers have had to put up with for years. George, thanks so much for, for joining me on the podcast to, to help uh, unpack an issue that started to attract some attention and certainly I think is likely to attract some electoral attention. Uh, why don't we start, though, with uh, an introduction of yourself, the media, uh, and a bit on the broader history that you've had when it comes to the independent telecom space. Sure. Well, listen, first of all, Michael, thank you very much for, for having me and, uh, and giving uh, me and I suppose my sector of the industry the opportunity to, to further uh, further describe the situation and uh, certainly to express our point of view. Really, my first entree into this, this, this industry was back in 2010, 2011, when, um, uh, when the usage-based billing matter happened. It was such, a, such an egregious, uh, egregiously incorrect uh, decision at the time uh, that obviously it wound up you know, galvanizing a lot of people uh, there was a, a lot of attention paid to it, particularly because, you know, we were going through certain political transitions in the country. And and so for a variety of reasons, it really became uh, a major, which is not typical in, in the telecom area. All, but that was essentially my, my first year in it. And I thought, well, holy cow, what's, what's all this about? And uh, just by a set of um, fortuitous circumstances, I got thrust a little bit into the limelight uh, as a spokesman for one of the major independent ISP companies at the time. Um, and wound up on on Lang O'Leary, uh, where I had the uh, the uh, the privilege of uh, debating the issue with Kevin O'Leary, 
What would be the downside of taking it all, out all this CRTC regulation and all these covenants about letting parasites ride on your system, given that many groups now, including foreigners, are building out infrastructure on their own? What do we need these antiquated policies for? How does that help me as a shareholder? How does that attract more capital for you? I don't see any upside here. Well, to be candid, I, I really don't have a lot of uh, sympathy for you as a shareholder, because obviously that's an entirely different interest. I think the reality is what's better for the public. And I should point out that Canada is virtually unique in the world in terms of how it's treating broadband usage. Uh, we, are, uh, we are certainly the most expensive, and that's even before the introduction of usage-based billing. Uh, if you did away with all the CRTC regulations, then frankly, you would be left with uh, the duopoly. You, you called it two competitors, but it's really a duopoly of the cable companies and the telecoms. And I don't think that anybody would want to necessarily be at their mercy when it comes to pricing, especially... If you don't understand why you need me as a shareholder, you wouldn't have a business. I put capital at risk. If you don't give me a return, you get zero. That's oh, that, how it works. That's true, but you're not my shareholder. And, give, and if these rules stay in place, you're never going to be my shareholder. I think that companies like us have to have the opportunity to build up a business so that you could have something to invest in, so that you could see that there's a tremendous private equity opportunity in a business like ours. They're cropping up all over the world except in Canada. And, uh, and that actually was, uh, was a very interesting experience because uh, uh, notwithstanding the fact that I was a little bit uh, nervous with, uh, given the fact that I didn't have a deep understanding of the brief, he got me so annoyed that it turned out to be uh, a very successful debate with him. And, uh, and I suppose in certain respects that kind of established my reputation a little bit in, in, in this space uh, very quickly. Television does wonderful things. Uh, but but I stayed in it, and um, and uh, my consulting uh, stage ended uh, when uh, when I um, I was introduced to a group of uh, terrific IPTV um, uh, engineers and developers by Wind, um, and Wind at the time wanted to get into IPTV uh, it, because of its foreign ownership issues, it was not able to do so, um, and so it looked for a partner that had the IPTV technology and also was Canadian, and so they found this group of uh, very talented young people. And so they brought me on board as uh, a manager of that proposed joint venture. Uh, shortly after that, Wind decided to do a complete uh, shift to mobile and wireless, because at the time they had a small wire, wire, wireline footprint. And they, they did a pivot away from us, and we parted as friends, but we sort of looked at each other and said, you know, well, what the heck, Let, let's, let's start our own business. And so we got into the internet business, but that was primarily because that was the only way for us to be able to legally deliver uh, television to Canadians. And uh, it's kind of like the old story of, you know, somebody wants to, you know, own a cow. And then the next thing you know, you need to build a barn and then you need to get a field so that you can get hay and so on. Uh, so we just wanted to do IPTV. And that brought me back to my content roots. But getting into the Internet business thrust us into this again. And so we've been, we've been building our business since then at V-Media. Um, and V-Media has become, uh, in a very short time, a pretty substantial player, primarily because we are pioneers in introducing IPTV uh, to, to the Internet space. We are, I can tell you unequivocally that we were the first live TV streaming service in North America. As you know, the CRTC sparked a bit of a firestorm just last month with its decision on wholesale rates. Not everybody follows the intricacies, I think, of, of that marketplace. Uh, and so I was hoping that we could start by having you unpack a little bit what's happening here and perhaps even start with what is that wholesale market? What is the CRTC regulating on? So um, interestingly enough, Canada is a, somewhat of a rarity 
in terms of the, uh, the, the creation of a competitive market for internet services. And by competitive market, I mean where providers can compete with the incumbents, the owners of facilities. So, for example, when it comes to telecom facilities, it would be somebody like Valortelis. When it comes to uh, cable uh, telecom facilities, it would be somebody like Rogers, Bell and, uh, Rogers Videotron, and so on. Um, and uh, it, it, the, it, it's directly analogous to what happened with long distance uh, back about 20-odd years ago when it was decided that there was not enough competition in the long-distance space. Uh, the costs of long distance were exorbitant in Canada, and the decision was made to allow parties to buy access to the long distance facilities from the telcos. And of course, that was wildly successful because it wound up driving costs down to to virtually pennies. You know, whereas you'd be paying one or two dollars to be calling uh, Toronto Montreal, it, it fell to pennies. And of course, consumers won big time. Uh, a similar situation had uh, has been evolving on the internet side because uh, there are a lot of views, uh, and, and I share those views, that the margins that the larger companies are making on their internet services are spectacular, and they've acknowledged it themselves. And if it were not for the the alternative of competitive providers like like the media and others, um, the uh, the consumers would be held hostage in their access to something that is not just a, a utility, but it's an essential service. And nobody can live without internet today. And the idea of of letting the access to that rest in the hands of only two players in every market, a cable, cone, and telco, uh, would would be outrageous. And of course, the government realized this about 20 years ago. And so there was uh, this evolution toward permitting smaller companies to go to uh, to the to the table cable codes and telcos in their areas, and ask them for wholesale access to their bandwidth. Okay, so they so you get these independent players. V Media is one. There are others in the marketplace uh, who have the ability to go to the established players, obtain a wholesale rate, and then effectively provide equivalent access or access to a customer base that uses at least part of the incumbent's network. Well, if, if I may clarify, you, you put it extreme, very accurately. Uh, the only difference is when I speak of wholesale, it's the concept of buying something in bulk. In terms of a wholesale rate, in a normal market where there are people who are in the wholesale business and they want to make money and so they do the best they can to market to the retail space, in this case, the providers of these wholesale assets do not want to do business with anybody. They do not want to be providing access to their services to any third parties such as the media. And so, therefore, there really isn't a wholesale price. The wholesale price is theoretically set by the marketplace. And in this case, the way the pricing is set is through an extremely complicated and lengthy and detailed process, uh, which is in shorthand we can call a phase two costing methodology. And, uh, and in doing that, um, the CRTC is delegated with the task of inviting submissions from the cable codes and telcos to justify the costs that they feel would be fair for them to be paid for their quote-unquote wholesale access. And those submissions would be put out into public review and commented upon by interested parties, including independent ISPs, 
like the media, as well as consumer groups like open media, like uh, like PIAC, and so on. And that process, is, it, it, it almost inevitably involves hearings, although typically a lot of it is the exchange of paper, uh, the CRTC asking for more information in the form of interrogatories, uh, the respective parties providing that information, and then going through a very lengthy process of ultimately coming to a decision on what is just and reasonable as a price to set for the tariff. And once the tariff is set, then we as independent ISPs know what we have to pay to the larger providers, and we try to compete on that basis. Okay. So we've got some reluctant entrance in the wholesale market in the in the form of the large incumbents who would prefer this market didn't exist. The government wants to ensure that it's there and it's using the regulator, the CRTC, to go through this lengthy hearing process that you've just described to set what it it views as an appropriate wholesale rate, and then it's open to to these independent companies to enter the marketplace on that basis. What did the CRTC, so, so this has been going on for some time, as you mentioned, what did the CRTC rule just now or in the past month or so with respect to rates? Well, what, what they ruled, uh, I, I think it was around August 15th or so, I'm not, I'm not sure, it was around then, uh, they they delivered a final decision on the the wholesale access uh, hearing process, which took really took close to three years. Um, they delivered a decision on what the CRTC held to be just and reasonable prices, based on the submissions that they received, um, and um, those those prices were a very significant downward adjustment from what had been set three years ago with regard to these particular services. Um, and um, I, I think it, to, to, to be able to discuss the, this moment, we just need a little bit of a scroll back. Um, it, it has really been a, a running battle, a series of skirmishes or, or wars between the independent providers like ourselves and on the one hand and the incumbents over the last 20 years, both in terms of uh, we being allowed to have access to their to their increasingly faster platforms. Um, so, in other words, every time they introduced a faster platform, they would say, "Well, listen, you know, the, the independents are not entitled to this," and the CRTC would decide, "Yes, they are." Uh, in shorthand, it's a speed matching concept, and then the battle would be over how much would be just and reasonable. And we, as independent ISPs, have felt for a very long time that the rate setting has not been just and reasonable. Uh, we have had a little bit of a handicap because there, is, there has not been complete transparency in the submissions that have been made over the years by the incumbents. They are entitled to keep uh, significant uh, chunks of their information confidential. Um, many of their submissions are just filled with hashtags. Um, and so it becomes very difficult for, for us to be able to target what our issues are. Uh, certainly over time, the CRTC has become very sensitive to the possible distortions of the costing submissions that they've received. And it came to a head about, I, I think, and, and by the way, just to go back for one second to the UBB thing, which is very illustrative. So what happened in that situation was that um, the, the one of the uh, telcos wanted independent ISPs to stop providing unlimited internet service, which was a, an incredible 
um, evolution in, in the space. Because up until then, people were capped at certain levels, and they had a very difficult time enjoying the internet to the degree that they wanted to, especially with the growth of video. And so, uh, so what happened was that the telco said, well, hang on a second. Okay, you may be buying this stuff at wholesale from us, but you can't just do anything you want with it. You can't offer it unlimited. Uh, we're not offering it unlimited. So we've capped what people can use in terms of gigabytes per month. And so we want you to cap it. And if anybody uses over that limit, then you have to charge them $2.50 or $2 or whatever the number was. And you'll have to pay that to us. Okay? And so that would have been just a massive buzzkill, if you can imagine. I mean, this was exactly at the moment in time when video on the Internet was taking off. And so their, their view was that anybody who was using over 25 gigs a month was a bandwidth hog. Well, of course, 25 gigs a month is basically like, you know, three days of Netflix now. So, so, so clearly they were very, very much behind, but, but it suited them because obviously it managed to enhance their margins tremendously and it would have uh, eliminated a major differentiator between themselves and independent ISPs. They wanted to cap at 25 gigs. We were prepared to offer things on an unlimited basis for even cheaper prices than they were offering. But my point is that what was so egregious about what was the idea of charging $2 or $2.50 for each incremental gig when everybody knew that each incremental gig cost maybe pennies, if that. Because at the end of the day, you're basically talking about air and light. There's no commodity being used. And so, so everybody twigged to the fact that clearly there was a fundamental problem with the pricing process. And so ever since then, there's been a, an, an increased focus on getting the pricing right. So about three years ago, in October of uh, 2016, the CRTC issued a decision in the course of this recent pricing process, which, as I said, was, has taken three years, and they set interim rates. And those interim rates were dramatically different from what had been in place until then. They found that the interim rates up until then were unjust and unreasonable, and they gave lengthy and detailed reasons why. And they said interim rates, which in many cases were 60, 70, 80% lower than the, the, the previous rates on the usage portion of what we pay. Um, and so that was clearly a major step forward in getting toward fair pricing. And then this last decision, to finally answer your question, this last decision on August 15th was the final determination of what was just and reasonable, and that included an adjustment to the so-called fixed portion of, of the rates. And that also was substantially reduced. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot there, and uh, I just want to make sure that, that, that I've got it all. I mean, I think the history is very interesting because UBB provides a really nice paradigm example. I think it was, it was great to use that as an illustration for the, the role that independent providers can play in the marketplace in terms of bringing new innovations into the marketplace. You mentioned they were pushing for things like uh, unlimited usage. And at the same time, the role that that the incumbents play is sometimes they don't want to see that kind of innovation take place and the, the necessity of having the regulator, in a sense, step in through these various processes to get it right. 
And what it sounds like is that as they've become more sensitive to the the critical the, the critical aspect of this in terms of getting rates that will allow for the the kind of innovation and competition that government policies really aiming for, uh, they have found at least in recent years that the the rates have been too high, and there's been over the last both in that interim decision and this most recent one a steady downward trend, sometimes dramatically so, uh, in terms of what. The independents are being or would be required to pay at the wholesale level. Do I have it right? Yeah, but absolutely right. Okay. Yeah, but absolutely right. All right, that's excellent. So, and 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 by the way, it's not because anybody's not particularly smart. It's just that these processes take so long, and they're so detailed and so complicated, and there's so many changes that go on in the course of these processes being underway that there is a bit of catch up. But you know, certainly, the CRTC has fully caught up. Okay, so the CRTC is caught up. Independents presumably are pleased because some of the things that they've been concerned about in terms of high prices have now been addressed by an independent arbiter. Uh, why are the incumbents seemingly so angry, other than the, the obvious, that they've been told that they've been overcharging for, or that their rates have been far too high for a considerable period of time? Bell says it has its own problems. The CRTC, the country's telecom regulator, ordered internet providers like Bell to lower wholesale prices permanently, in some cases by more than 75 percent, and it applies retroactively. Bell says it'll cost them $100 million, so it's cutting its rule expansion by 20 percent to help come up with the money. I tend to be uh, generally a bit of a forgiving sort. In the sense that there's no point in being angry. I'm very surprised that they're angry. Uh, I can tell you that uh, there have been tactics and strategies employed by some of the incumbents uh, to uh, to set back, retard, or slow down the development of the independent space and and, and of new uh, of new entrants uh, over the years that have been so incredibly egregious that would that it would warrant a great deal of anger on our part. Because uh, because how, of the way that they were basically circumventing clear policy and clear directives, but nonetheless, I like I certainly don't get angry, because I think that these are economically rational steps that people take when they're protecting their turf. So you know, to to put it in kind of uh, you know uh, Godfather esque terms, it's nothing. It's not personal. It's strictly business. So they shouldn't be angry, but they are very angry. Uh, my understanding is that they're hopping up and down angry, but. I don't really know why, because uh, uh, everybody has known in the business that the costing uh, materials that have been submitted have been exaggerated. Everybody knows that the incremental costs for the services that we take um, were nowhere near what they have submitted. Uh, so basically, everybody's caught up. Everybody gets it now. And, and at the end of the day, this is all sound and fury over nothing. This, this whole portion of the business is a very, very small part of their business. There's no question that the new prices will enhance our share of the business. But at the, uh, right now, we basically got 10% of the market spread out over Canada. I'm talking about the independent ISPs as a collective. And so much of this is, you know, we're, we're, we're still far, far away from being able to market at their levels, from being able to uh, retain people the way they can. Um, and so uh, we really don't threaten their business model at all. So so anger is, is really misplaced. Uh, but, but having said that, I mean, clearly, um, uh, w what's happened now 
is that we're going to be able to go into the market, we the independent ISPs, and offer consumers a better deal. A better deal because they deserve it. This is this is an essential service. We cannot live without internet anymore. I'm not sure what's more important in a household these days, water or internet, light or internet, gas or internet. And we're also completely dependent on it. So it's very important that Canadians get a fair shake in what they pay for this, this essential service. And we are, the, the, our existence, the existence of the independent ISV space is the only assurance that there's some kind of a market stabilizing force. And again, to go back to the UBB, if it weren't for us, Canadians would still be paying for capped rates. Imagine that. We would be in the internet dark ages in the world for having to pay capped rates. And, and so we, and we immediately you know, were able to provide that. And of course, that was a major differentiator for us. And very shortly after that, frankly, you know, within one or two years, I think, the unlimited packages became virtually ubiquitous with the larger providers as well. But in the meantime, we were the pioneers in that area. And frankly, we were also the pioneers and take leadership in selling internet services at a smaller margin. And we still managed to make a living, even though the tariffs we held to be egregiously high. So, so there's still an awful lot of money to be made in this space. And if people are unhappy, because in this limited segment, they are currently reduced from making like a 90 or 95% gross margin on every incremental piece of, of internet bandwidth that they sell to us. And it's ground down to maybe only making 35% margin or 40%. Well, I'm sorry. But at the end of the day, there's a far greater good here in ensuring that Canadians are full participants in this incredible golden age of communications. Yeah, so so it would be your view, I mean, it's pretty clear that not only does this have a significant impact on the ability for the independents to compete, but ultimately is going to have a significant impact on consumer pricing and potentially innovation in terms of some of the kinds of services that we see uh, on on, on the, that kind of broad on broadband to the home. Absolutely. The consumers, Canadian consumers are at the core of everything we're talking about. Uh, look, we, we independent ISPs, I mean, we, we know our place. This is not about us. For us to go to the CRTC and say, gee, we're not making enough money, they'll basically look at us, and if, if there's adequate competition in the marketplace, then they'll say, well, who cares? You know, the marketplace has got adequate competition. But that's not the case. With us, the marketplace does have adequate competition. But without us, it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's really all about the ability to provide a competitive marketplace for Canadian consumers in this area. Okay. You wrote a, a, an interesting counterpoint in the Financial Post recently on this issue. And, and I, I think it's notable that it, it was framed as a counterpoint because much of the, the coverage, especially in the business pages, has been pretty friendly to the established providers who, as you say, have been hopping mad and have, uh, and we've seen a considerable amount of media coverage talking about the impact as they talk about decreasing their investments in rural broadband initiatives and the bottom line impact they claim is gonna, that it's going to have. You wrote that incumbents have no business howling about the unfairness of this recent decision, that any unfairness pales in comparison to what Canadian consumers have had to put up with for years. Were, were you speaking specifically on the, the pricing side, the, the competitive environment? What, what are you thinking about when you, when you think about incumbents having no business complaining about the decision itself? So certainly in terms of what Canadian consumers have had to put up with, I mean, that does go back something like 30 or 40 years because if you want to include the obviously inflated prices that they were paying for telephone services, 
uh, I mean, I can't even imagine how how many billions and billions of dollars of, of wealth transfer that went from Canadian consumers to to the major companies, and certainly the addition of the incredible margins that are available uh, in internet services uh, is pretty much the same thing. Especially if, if you think about it for a second, so we we now have what are just and reasonable prices. That means that what we have been paying for, let's say, the last 15 years, or let's, let's just go back to 2010, UBB, were unjust and unreasonable. So there is a retroactive element to this, which in, in certain respects is going to you know, have them give back some of the, let's call it, excess profits they may have made over the last two and a half years. But there's a, a previous period that goes back to 2010, which is another six or seven years at least, where Canadian consumers did not have a choice in getting lower prices, or or at least as low as they could have been, had the prices been just and reasonable. So think about the delta there. Think about the difference in in the disposable income for hardworking Canadians that were taken from their pockets and basically transferred to the telcos and cable cos because of the incredible margins that they make. Well, and, and 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 all of that, all of that, is justified, supposedly justified. Because, well, Canada is a big country, you know, and there isn't a lot of population density, and so it costs us a lot more money to build out, and all of that. And yet, and yet, the margins that Canadian telcos and cable cos make are greater than the margins that are made by their American counterparts who operate in areas of far greater density. So what's wrong with that picture? And I hope I explained that clear enough. Yeah, no, I, I, I with a lot of passion too, which I think is great. Uh, the you know, just to play devil's advocate for a moment, the the question that's being asked, and I was just asked it on a another program recently, is what to make of the claims that incumbents are making that this will result in decreased investment in rural broadband investment, and so in the in the dense urban areas, they may continue to invest, but the argument that they're making is that if if you if you decrease the revenues that we can expect, and especially do so on a retroactive basis, that forces us to change up some of our investment plans, and some of the investment, particularly in the less economic rural areas, are simply going to go away. I think that that in view of the advantages and privileges that the cable codes and the telcos have had, in the case of the telcos over the last hundred years, and in the case of the table, cable codes in the last fifty years in being able to build their businesses on you know, monopoly licenses, exclusive licenses in the case of the cable companies, uh, on government subsidies and monopolies in the case of the telecommunications telcos, I think that's a shameful argument. Because when you take into account the amount that we're talking about, it is barely a rounding error in, on, their, on, their, on their income statements. The, the total amount that we're talking about in terms of this, this retroactive payment, for example, taken together with the next several years of the delta between the old rates and the new rates amounts to roughly 0.5, one half of 1%, I'm being generous, one half of 1% of their positive cash flow, of their cash flow. Think, think of that for a second. And so the number we're talking about is you know, anywhere between 200 and $300 million. And that is an absolute nothing. Now, the argument about you know failing to do this and do that well, they don't want to do the rural areas. The rural areas are a lost leader. Those are the things that they should be doing just because they're giving back for the benefits that they've had 
for all these many decades. But the fact of the matter is, that why would they want to do it? At the end of the day, you know, their, their principal obligation, quite rightly, is to their shareholders. And that's not a great rate of return. And so, you know, we, we have a uh, we have a home in the country in the Laurentians, and we're, you know, we're basically muddling through with like, you know, one and a half to two megs of service in our house. One and a half to two megs, think of it. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, that's right. One and a half to two megs of speed. No, it's, a, it's a nothing. So, so, so there really hasn't been much of that anyway leading up to this decision. So I think it's a really unfair thing to, to pretend that essentially what they're saying is this is justification for us to not do what we don't want to do anyway. And by the way, I should point out that uh, another proceeding that took place about three years ago or four years ago, it's been a very busy season for the CRTC, was, uh, was a permitting access to, uh, for independent ISPs to fiber that was being built out, fiber to the home that was being built out by the telcos. And so in, in that situation, um, while that matter was under consideration, Bell made a an announcement, and it was you know obviously they were they're very proud of it, and for good reason that they were going they had a commitment that they were going to uh, be laying fiber throughout all of the Toronto or the Greater Toronto area or or whatever that announcement was. This, despite the fact that you know they knew that the possibility was hanging over their heads that we would we would wind up with access to to the fiber, which which we did get, and of course that rollout went went ahead anyway because economically it just makes sense. So breaking it into two parts. The upgrade of facilities is never, ever going to slow down because they have to remain competitive. They have to be providing the best services to their customers because, remember, they still dominate 90% of the market. So they have to be continuously upgrading their services. And by the way, they still make a terrific margin on those upgrades. The rural areas, they never wanted to do it. They don't want to do it now. And now they think they have an excuse. Many of those Canadians, along with, I think, the major political parties are are increasingly looking at this issue. We're in the midst of a national election, and it looks like communication services, both internet access to the home and broadband, so internet access to the home in the form of broadband, as well as wireless services, are going to be uh, a, an election issue. It's certainly a consumer pocketbook issue, and it's one that the parties have really started to talk about. The NDP wants to take a bite out of your cell phone and internet bills. It's a pocketbook issue that the party hopes will resonate with voters we would immediately put in place a price cap on the amount that can be charged for cell phone and internet. We'd impose the price cap based on the average OECD nations and what they charge for cell phone and for internet. If you were prime minister for the day, uh, what kind of policies would you enact? Are we on the right track, do you think, with, with some of these recent decisions? Or is there more that we could be doing when it comes to the competitiveness of our communication services in Canada? Looking back, uh, I will say that this is one area where there I, – I don't know how it's going to become an election issue because I don't think that there's a lot of distance between the major and lesser parties on this issue. Um, you know, without a doubt, the Liberal Party or the Liberal government has done an exemplary job in ensuring that there is going to be a continuation of this focus on competition – uh, firstly, cer- certainly uh, uh, in in the in the uh, mobile space, because they have been very clear in encouraging the CRTC to ensure that there's going to be a competitive market in mobile, because obviously because of the increasing cost of that to Canadian consumers, and in the internet space as well. 
So I think that they, they, they've done a very good job. I think that the lead-in by the previous conservative government was also on the same page. Uh, you know, you, you'll recall the incredible, uh, you know, full-page ad acrimony between the federal government and and the telcos on on the policies that they were introducing. And so I think that that peop- that that this is not really something where there's going to be a lot of uh, significant disagreement because it is a motherhood issue. Who cannot be in favor? of competition and fair prices in this incredibly important area that potentially can be prone to 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 um, uh, pricing that really is not reflective of costs. Okay, so we, so we may so it may not be an election controversy given that that all the parties may find themselves moving in roughly the same direction. Uh, but I suppose then it still does beg the question: what What do you think we should be doing? You know, there's everyone's going to line up to say we want to see lower prices. You're right; it's become. Uh, I think it's a really common consumer concern and, and therefore a political issue. But if you, you know, if if you had the chance to draft the policy that ultimately gets adopted, are we on the right track, or is there more that we could be doing? Well, it's interesting you say that because, in fact, there there was a policy direction that was issued by uh, by ICED, uh, I guess now it's about six or eight months ago, and that was a very important policy direction because it basically said that in telecom services. The crucial objective is competition and ensuring that there's affordable services and that consumers, Canadians, have choices. Um, it did not uh, talk about the need for that competition to be in the form of massive investment because it's simply not possible. The requirement that anybody you know, lay out huge facilities to overbuild on existing facilities is economically simply not practical. So the focus on this policy direction, quite rightly, is competition by any means, any legal means, obviously. Um, so that is definitely was a major step in the right direction. Um, I think that the, 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 the foundation, the building blocks of a really stable competitive market going forward are almost all in place. So first of all, we will, notwithstanding the appeals that are uh, ongoing, we, we will wind up with fair pricing that will assure our ability to provide good competitive services to consumers at fair prices for independent ISPs. And so that's this particular issue we're talking about. Then we're waiting for a decision any day now from the CRTC regarding the the, uh, access to fiber. Uh, There's an element of that which, which has to be refined in terms of how we access it and what the cost would be for us to access it. And, and so that decision still has to be made because that's crucial because everything's going to be fiber. And then the third part, the third leg of this, uh, forgive me from switching from buildings to stools, but, but the third leg of this is, is essentially how we deal with mobile. And the signals have been very clear that there's a strong desire to, to create an MVNO market an MVNO market is essentially analogous to independent ISPs, where we would also be given access at a tariffed rate to uh, to uh, spectrum and to uh, to uh, wireless uh, facilities, and so uh, there will be competition in that area as well. And so once those things are in place, there's not going to be an awful lot to do going to into the future. I mean, five G obviously is is a discussion. But one would assume that it would fall within the concept of uh, of an MVNO strategy. George, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. 
That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.